And a good morning and welcome to the Mecca Sports Talk. I'm your host, Keith Dewar, for this Friday, December the 3rd, 2021. And, hey, what better song really to play right now to start the show than Dancing in the Street? Because no other song would really be applicable at this point other than that if you're a fan of the New York Mets because you are dancing in the street today. You were dancing in the street yesterday and the day before and the day before that because the Mets secured the big man, Max Scherzer, three years, $130 million to basically be, well, whatever you want to call him, Batman or Robin or whatever. But putting him now with Jacob deGrom at the top of that Mets rotation makes them obviously an instant contender regardless of what they did last week when they signed Marte, Canha, and Escobar to contracts. Look, you can hate the Mets. You could love the Mets. You could be a casual fan. You could be whatever you want. But under no circumstance to me, and I'm about as big of a Met hater as there is, Under no circumstance can you sit there and say that this is a bad move. You can't. You can't do it. Because this is is a money, 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 money thing. That's it. Nothing more. You could talk about risk. You could talk about he's 37 years old. You could talk about he had a dead arm in the playoffs last year for the Dodgers. You could say all those things. What you can't say is that this is a bad move. It's not. If he gets hurt, well, you know what? Then he gets hurt. It doesn't matter. Because this move had to be made by the Mets. Steve Cohen put his his basically money where his mouth is. And brought in a difference maker. A guy that's a, you know, only a handful of generational type of pitchers are you going to come through, you know, every 20 years or so where you have a guy of this stature that you're able to secure the services of him and all it all cost you was money. It didn't cost you any anything else. It cost you nothing else. So how do you how can you criticize this under any circumstance? You can't. The Mets hit a home run right here. They hit a grand slam, whatever you want to call it. This was the move they needed to make to put them Right at the top of the list, or near the top of the list, of teams that have a shot to win it all next year and maybe beyond. This is what they had to do, and they did it. So you cannot, under any circumstance, as I said, criticize this whatsoever if you're a fan of the Mets or a fan of anybody else. You know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, he's old, oh, this and that, he's going to get hurt. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, I read the stuff from Met fans and I laugh because it's like, how can you sit there and be critical of this? What more do you want? They'd like, bring back Strowman. Bring back Strowman for what? Bring back Strowman for what? He's not even in the same atmosphere, stratosphere, galaxy as Max Scherzer is. Give me a friggin' break. How the hell could you sit there and criticize this? Oh, he's making twice as much as what Strowman got. Is Strowman leading you to a World Series? 
The answer is no. So please, cut the crap with this. You know, Met fans are, are delusional, the ones that are sitting there talking about this is a bad move. Give me a friggin' break. What the heck are you smoking? You know, it's like some fans you just cannot satisfy no matter what you do. No matter what. And you know what? And Yankee fans are guilty of that too. Believe me. Because you know what? Today's the eight-year anniversary of the Yankees bringing in Jacoby Ellsbury for that godforsaken seven-year $153 million contract that they gave him eight years ago today. And I said it on Facebook eight years ago today that he's a, he was a better version of Brett Gardner. And you know what? He was actually a worse version of Brett Gardner because he was nothing but garbage. Other than 2014, he sucked year after year after year. And he got hurt year after year after year. That contract was a total albatross, and it was for seven years. So for Met fans to sit there and talk about, oh, well, we gave Scherzer all this money for three years. What if he gets hurt and this and that? Well, then you know what? You live with the consequences, and that's it. You still have the Grom at the top of the rotation. Now, granted, we don't even know what's wrong with the Grom still, technically. I mean, do we have an actual uh, diagnosis of what the heck happened to him last year? In July or whenever he went out again? We don't even know. We don't even know how serious he was hurt. Obviously, it was serious enough because he missed the rest of the year. But do we know what's wrong with him? Was it a forearm? Was it an elbow? Was it a shoulder? What the heck was it? We don't even know. So that I would be more concerned about than talking about Max Scherzer. Oh, he got all this money, three years, $130 million. Oh, what are the Mets doing giving a 37-year-old all that money? Give me a break. They're one of a handful of teams now that can win it all. So you cannot sit there and tell me that this makes no sense whatsoever. Give me a break. Met fans, as I played in the beginning, Met fans should be dancing in the street for the rest of the winter. Now, the only thing is, when this collective bargaining agreement thing gets resolved, which might take a while, then you could dance some more. Because the Mets are probably not even done. They still probably need another relief pitcher or two. They could ideally use another starting pitcher because, you know, you look at the top four starters, you know, yes, okay, Scherzer's 37 years old, fine. DeGrom is coming off injuries this past year. You saw what happened to Tyquan Walker. Pitched great in the first half, pitched horrendous in the second half. And you got to pray that he throws 150 innings next year. You don't even know. You have no idea. He's an injury risk, as you've seen over the years. Carlos Carrasco, he barely pitched last year. And he's a major injury risk. And then you got McGill, and you got Peterson. But I I think you still need one more starter, ideally. Or at least a swingman of some sort to alleviate... What's going to wind up being, I I think the Mets may do a six-man rotation for next year. Just to keep the innings on par for a couple of these guys that have a little bit of fragility to them. I mean, to me, it makes sense to do something like that. But, again, this Scherzer signing, it's money, and that's it. And Cohen has a ton of it. And he has more than anyone else. So... To the Met fans out there, or 
or whoever that wants to sit and criticize the 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 move, you're crazy. Period. You're crazy. So pipe it down, and let's see what happens next year and beyond. Now, getting to next year is going to be a challenge because it is collective bargaining agreement nonsense between the owners and the players' union. And they're, they're bogged down now. Both sides are bogged down. And this is going to take a while to get resolved. And your worst fear as a Met fan, as an example, is what happens if this drags into next year? Then you're losing, potentially, innings from Scherzer that you would have had for 2022. And that's a big, big problem, obviously. But right now, I mean, the owners, hey, they see that the players have no uh, or have a flattening of the salaries for the last couple of years. There's been a there's flattening of the salaries. The players obviously want an incline in salaries on a year over year basis. They're not getting that the last couple of years. You knew that this was inevitable. I called this a couple of years ago that this was inevitable, and it's happened. You know, the, the, the owners come out the other day and talk about they wanted to decrease the player the pensions for the players. You knew that was going to be a non-starter. You know, they're talking about they want 14 teams now in the playoffs, seven in each league, top team gets a bye, or the, the team with the best record in each league gets a bye. Yeah, that's wonderful and everything. More playoff games equals more money. We know that. But the players who got pretty much hosed in the last collective bargaining agreement, they are not going to be playing games this go-round with the owners. I know there's a ton of money to divvy up between everybody, as what you've seen with Corey Seager getting $325 million from Texas and Semyon getting $170 million from Texas and all these exorbitant salaries that have been thrown out before the CBA expired. Hey, you knew, this, this, is, this was expected ideally, that the players wanted to cash in before they knew they were going to be locked out. But don't be surprised that this lasts a couple of months, at least. Now, the worst case scenario is this drags into the season next year. And, hey, that that's a distinct possibility that it could. But there's too much to lose. You know, you already had, obviously, everything that occurred after 94... World Series getting canceled. The fans, it took a while for a lot of them to come back. Then you had all the, the crap with McGuire and Sosa with the home run race. And steroids, obviously, people turned the other way. They turned the other cheek. Didn't look at anything related to that because they they need to do anything possible to get the fans back in the stands. So that obviously played out the way it did. Now they're talking about there were multiple baseballs used last season. Probably, you know, a, a, a certain one in a, a Yankee-Red Sox game and then a different one or a different version used in a, in a Pirates-Royals game. I mean, this is the type of stuff that just, you know, you say to yourself, what? Are you kidding me? Juice balls for one game, non-juice balls for another game. I mean, come on. Give me a break. You know, Manfred's ruined this damn game in many ways. 
You know, he's talking about it. They talked about it. They want to shorten the games. The games have gotten longer. The games have gotten longer. Look at the playoff games. If it's under four hours, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle if it's under a four-hour game. You know, the Yankee-Red Sox game, the one-game playoff, that game was over four hours. It was like a, what was the final score, 6-2? It wasn't an 11-10 game with 19 pitching changes. So, you know, all this stuff about shortening the game and, you know, the three the three batter minimum thing, I've kind of gotten okay with that. I still don't love it because I feel like a manager should be able to do whatever he wants to do. You want to make 25 pitching changes, go right ahead and do it. Destroy your pitching staff, whatever it takes, fine. But, I, you know, this nonsense about... Uh, now, 14 playoff teams, and I mean, uh, the one-game playoff thing, yeah, I, I feel like it should be three games, fine. But uh, some of these other rules, you know, runner on second and extra innings, I don't care. COVID, no COVID, the hell with it. If they're on the field, they're playing, then what the heck is the difference? COVID ain't going anywhere anyway. So the bottom line is just, Put the rule back to what it was. Let the pitchers, or let the managers, excuse me, do whatever they want to do with their pitching staff, however you want to arrange it, and and go with that. There's going to be DH next year, or whenever there is a next year. So let managers just do what they want. Cut the crap with all these stupid rules. You're not shortening the games because the games are longer. So what the heck is the difference at this stage? Just let the just let the managers do what they want, and that's the end of it. You want to keep the three batter minimum, fine. But this nonsense second base runner and set, come on, no, no, twenty second clock between pitches, they don't enforce it anyway. So what the heck is the difference? You know, just stupid rules, stupid things. Oh, we got to shorten the games. Well, you sure as hell ain't lowering the ticket prices, are you? If you're the owners. No, you're not. What the hell? What's the problem with that? Shorter game, I want to pay less money to go to a game. Heck, if you're the Mets now, you got all the excuses in the world to raise the prices like crazy. Considering you spent $250 million. So the, all this stuff about, oh, shorten the game, reinvent the wheel, this and that. It's all utter nonsense. You know, look, this CBA thing, the players, as I said, are going to bog down to the bitter end. And they better this time because they got hosed the last CBA. So this go-around, they are going to bog down because now they got the ammunition of the lockout. And they're not going to take a penny less than what they want. They are not going to do it this go-around. So we'll see who blinks first, ultimately. But this is going to be a long, drawn-out situation. You know, you have no Rule 5 draft. You have it for the minors, but not for the major league uh, rosters. For the minor league rosters, you do. But there won't be any Rule 5 draft. You know, they got to they gotta come up with... And, and look, they got to come up with a situation where the Pirates can compete, where the Orioles can compete, where the Royals can compete. 
the A's, all these teams that have low payrolls. I know the A's have been good most years despite the low payroll, but the bottom line is you can't sustain it for a, for a long period of time. So how do you come up with a situation where the Pirates can at least have a somewhat even playing field compared to teams like the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Cubs, teams with a, a really high payroll year after year, the Dodgers. How do you come up with a system that is equitable to everybody? You know, do you have a floor? You know, you have to spend at least $100 million. I mean, the low market teams, the small market teams are already getting money from the likes of the Yankees and the big market teams. So, again, I don't know what they're going to do. You know, it's but it's always been about the haves and the have-nots in baseball. So let's hope that they come up with something equitable to allow teams like the Pirates not to sit there and sell off their team to the Yankees or to whoever. And then they're basically in the gutter for 5-10 years. I mean, look what the Pirates did. The Pirates made the playoffs in 90, 91, and 92. And then they went into the they lost bonds and they went into basically the dark ages for two decades. Same thing with the Royals. They did the same type of thing, the Royals. And then the Pirates had a couple of year period where they made the playoffs, and now they're back to the dark ages again. The Royals, they made back to back World Series, won a World Series, and now they're back where they were for basically twenty five years. You can't have that. Now, granted, if you're an owner, you know, I, I mean, look, I'm of the mindset, if you're an owner, you should be spending money on your damn product. Look what Steve Cohen did. But if you're an owner, you spend the money on your product. You put a winning, or try to put a winning ball club on the field. You, you can't, I know people, the bottom line is money, 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 profit, profit, profit. But, you know, if I were an owner, I'm doing everything I can to win. The luxury tax and this be damned. I'm doing whatever I got to do to win because that, but that's just my mindset. But then again, there's other people out there we know that all they're worried about is profit. They don't care what they put on the field as long as they're making a profit and and whatnot and it's going in the bank account, then they're happy. They don't care if the team loses 100 games or wins 100 games. You know, that, and that's that's the way it is. But... You know, if you're a fan of Pittsburgh, I mean, what do you have to look forward to next year? You don't have anything to look forward to next year. You know you're going to lose 95, 100 games, the way things are situated right now. So there has to be, there has to come a point where there's a an equitable system for for all 30 teams. And, you know, you can't force an owner to obviously spend money, but if you have a floor for a salary cap type of thing, then yes, that's a way to do it, to make them spend money and make them stay there, make them, you can't go below that number. So we'll see how it all plays out. Now, I mentioned before briefly about, look what Texas did, Seager, $325 million, which I think is ridiculous to give him for 10 years. Semyon got seven years, I believe $175 million from Texas also, so now... They have a middle infield that 
could obviously go up with the best uh, with among anybody else in baseball. Unfortunately, neither of them could pitch. Now, they signed John Gray to four years, $56 million, But other than that, what do you have in your rotation? I mean, you got Dane Dunning. You got Spencer Howard. You know, again, not a lot really to go with. If John Gray's your ace, you got a problem. So Texas might win, you know, 70, 75 games next year, but they're not going anywhere. They have no pitching. Zero. Granted, after they come to an agreement with the CBA, then we'll see what else gets done. But Texas obviously spent a ton of money, 500 and something million dollars on three guys as they try to get back to relevance in the American League West. But uh, but this gets me to the to the Yankees. And I know people are crying that they haven't done anything. And I know that, yeah, they brought Sanchez back, and they brought, brought Voigt back, and they brought back Urshela, and Andujar, all these guys they brought back. But really, what choice did they have? They were stuck against the CBA deadline. They couldn't make a trade, obviously, as you could see. So, I mean, I get that they kind of, their hands are tied because you have all this money tied into Stanton and all this money tied into Cole and all this money tied into guys stiffs like Hicks making $10 million and, you know, he stinks. You know, what are you going to do? What's the situation with Glaber? What's the situation with LeMahieu as far as where, like, LeMahieu's going to play as an example? I mean, essentially what they're doing is they're going back to the drawing board with the same crew once again. Now, I want to see after this CBA is done, the Yankees do something, though. I mean, go out and get Correa. Or go out, I mean, well, I'm not even in love with Trevor Story outside of Colorado, but, you know, they're talking Freddie Freeman and the Yankees are talking to him. That's a pipe dream. I'll believe it when I see it that he comes to the Yankees. That, to me, ain't happening. He's going back to Atlanta. And if he doesn't go to Atlanta, to me, he ain't coming to the Yankees because somebody's going to probably outbid the Yankees for his services, so... You know, I said it a few weeks ago, if if you ever saw Freddie Freeman leave the Braves, you figure that they're going to go after Matt Olson because the Braves have the prospects and the, the young chips to get him. No doubt about it. But from a Yankee standpoint, I, you know, it's it's like, what do you do really at this stage? What do you do? They're stuck with what they have. They brought all these guys back. So now when the CBA gets resolved... Do they spend the money? Do they go out and get a Correa? Do they go out and get Trevor Story? Or, God, you know, if they happen to get Freddie Freeman? I don't know. They're going to do something. But it's very frustrating to see the Yankees not do anything and to see their crosstown team in Queens do all these different things. But that's what happens when you... When you basically put yourself in a situation where your hands are tied. And that's what the Yankees' situation is. Their hands are tied because they have zero flexibility. They have no flexibility. None whatsoever. You know, they they lost out on all these free agents already who are gone. You know, Robbie Ray signed in Seattle. 
Gossman signed in Toronto. Obviously, you saw what happened with Scherzer. You know, all these starting pitchers now, which they needed in a number two guy to go with Cole, they're all gone. So now what do you do? Well, that means they're going to have to make a trade when everything gets resolved with the CBA. But again, when you have no flexibility, what are you supposed to do? So from that perspective, I say, okay, fine, don't rush into anything. But still, you put yourself into the situation. And that falls on Cashman. He put them in the situation that they have no flexibility. And now look what look what's happened. They've watched everybody and their mother get signed elsewhere. And, they, and they're sitting on their hands and knees doing nothing. And that's frustrating as a Yankee fan. But they were already at like 200 something million, 212, 215, 220 million dollars in salary allocations for 2022 just from what they have now. And that's not including anything else. And that for and that's another thing because look, Hal Steinbrenner is not George Steinbrenner. We know that for without a shadow of a doubt as a Yankee fan. He is nothing like his father. And he takes and he has to take some of the blame for this too, but again, the guy running the baseball operations, which is Cashman, this falls squarely on him for the most part. And you cannot sit there and, and tell me that, and I'm not saying they should have gone out and signed Corey Seager for $325 million. That's insanity. Total insanity. But I, I wanted to see them get a starting pitcher at least. So now if they're not going to, if they, ha- they haven't done anything yet, when the CBA gets resolved, they better make a trade for somebody. You know, I don't care about Corey Kluber signing with Tampa. Whoop-de-doo. That doesn't mean anything to me. But let's see what they do when the CBA is resolved. Let's see if the, the luxury tax implications, what they set it at, etc. But I, I don't want to jump you know, off the bridge, so to speak, because the Yankees haven't done anything. But it is frustrating to see that they haven't done anything because the Mets went out and and look what they've done. They've improved themselves massively, dramatically this offseason. They get an A++++ basically right now if you're the Mets. If you want to give them a grade. No doubt about it, A+. The Yankees, well, they get an incomplete grade because, you know, they haven't they haven't done anything yet. But hey, if they wind up getting Correa, maybe for a little less money than what was anticipated, then okay, I could deal with that. I don't love the idea of him coming here because I can't stand him. But you know what? He's a clutch player. He's proven to be a clutch player in the postseason for the Astros over the years. You know, you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, Clemens came here. Clemens came to the Yankees. Yankee fans couldn't stand him because he, he would throw at people. You know, he would always throw inside. He, he wanted to control the plate, which is his right. He should do that. You know, we saw other... I mean, we saw Ellsbury come here from the Red Sox, which that was a <laughs> mistake beyond mistake. 
you know, and other players too. Same type of Johnny da- Johnny Damon came here. Yankee fans couldn't stand him. You sure as hell couldn't stand him when he was on the Idiots in 2003 and 04. So we've seen this before. So if you get Correa, hey, he's wearing pinstripes, you cheer for him. That's the way it is. I'm not going to necessarily love it, but if he helps the Yankees win a championship, then who am I to complain? So just to put a bow to, a bow on the baseball-related stuff, so hey, again, A-plus to the Mets, getting Scherzer, making the offensive moves, you figure they're still not done. The Yankees, again, they get an incomplete grade, ideally, for right now, depending on what happens with the CBA and if they can make a trade or two or a free agent signing. And then obviously with the CBA situation. The players are going to bog themselves down and they're going to make sure they get every last penny they're entitled to. And I don't see them blinking at all whatsoever. Because after the last CBA, they're not going to make the same mistake twice. They're not. And if it means they miss games in the regular season, then that's what they're going to do. And I would hardly blame them one bit for that. Because as one of the stronger unions that there is, we've seen it before, they're willing to sit out. And they will sit out, if that's what it takes. So we'll see how it plays out, but my prediction is you're not going to see anything of any sort with the CBA probably till February. I don't foresee anything happening before then. So we'll see how it plays out. So, on to, before I get to the NFL, let me talk about the Knicks for a couple of minutes. You know, the Knicks are a very frustrating team to watch. And this week has has been no exception because Tuesday they played the Nets, lost a tough game 112-110. to And yes, the referees hosed them at the end, which the NBA basically said that they did. And I, you know, those stupid two-minute reading things or whatever... Is total nonsense. Who the heck cares? We know you screwed up. We don't need to he- for you to put it in writing. We know you screwed up. We can watch it with our own two eyes. You screwed up. And the refs are telling Julius Randle that he's too strong, so they can't uh, decipher what's a foul and what's not a foul. You're a friggin' referee. What the hell are you out there for then? Give me a break. Give me a break. You know, I, I'm, I hate when games get decided at the end, and this isn't any sport, when games get decided in the end by the ref. You know, it's like, let the guys play sometimes. You're going to tell me to Mitchell, oh, because Mitchell Robinson, he, he swung down on the basketball, which he got all ball, by the way, that that's a foul? Come on. He wasn't fouling Durant. He wasn't fouling James Harden. And again, you know, and Randall has to control himself. You know, he got a technical foul at the end. And I know you're frustrated. I know he was frustrated and pissed off and this and that. But you got to control your emotions. You have to do that. You cannot, under any circumstance, get a technical foul with a minute left in the game. And and the, the game is basically out there to be taken to win. You can't do that. 
And this gets me to the whole idea of the Knicks giving him all that money. And I, in my opinion, he's not a number one guy. He's not. We know he's not a number one guy. I don't care what his statistics are. He's not a superstar. He's a number two guy on a real good team. Maybe even a number three. But he's not in that upper, upper echelon of guys. So to me, I, and I know the Knicks had to give money to somebody, but still, I don't think you, he, to give him all that money, and he's your number one guy. To me, it didn't make sense. They need The Knicks needed to do something else. I've said it, I'll keep saying it, they got to get a, a difference maker guard on this team to get them where they want to go. That may not even be a championship, but still. Right now, the Knicks are nothing more than a bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff type of team that's going to probably play in those stupid play-in games. You know, they, they, they can't win at home. The game last night against Chicago, another prime example why this team is just not good enough. You know, I'm happy they have Mitchell Robinson playing. He's healthy. He's he, he clogs the paint. He had five or six block shots last night. I mean, I like him out there on the court. The problem is, can he stay out on the court? But again, you saw it last night. Randall missed two free throws at the end. And and that's frustrating as can be. It's like you need to, you know, if you're the number one guy and you're getting paid like a number one guy, then you need to play like a number one guy. And he's just not that. He's not that at all. You know, and and, and again, yes, the team has depth and, and this and that. That's wonderful. But it still comes down to your A1 type of guys out there on the floor making a difference at the end of the game, putting the ball in the hoop, playing defense, and leading your team to victory. And the Knicks right now, again, you see when you when you look at the Knicks, you you see that they have they're they're a team that is on the precipice, but they're not good enough to get to that next level. They're just not. Good teams find ways to win at the end of the game, and middle of the road and bad teams find ways to lose. And the Knicks are in that middle of the road vicinity where they cannot. Get over the hump. And this is against good teams. Chicago's a good team. The Nets we know are a good team. So the Knicks got themselves a long way to go. And I know that it's 21-22 games and they got a lot of, you know, they got a couple of new guys. Walker's basically on the bench now, which I don't necessarily blame the Knicks for doing that because his, he can't play defense. He has no lateral movement. But then if that's the case, what the hell did you sign him for? You gave him two years, $20 million. Now, I know he was cut, and he would have been more money probably if, if it was a different situation, but you still gave him two years, $20 million. Now he's sitting and lagging on the bench. You know, Fournier is basically, you know, four years, $72 million just to me seems asinine now, watching him play every night. Yeah, he could shoot the three. So could 60% of the league. I mean, is he a great defender? No, he's not. He's not a great defender. He's an okay defender. 
He could shoot the ball. Again, so could 60% of the league. At least. So I don't agree with this whole idea that, oh yeah, you know, four years, seven, two million. I didn't like it from the beginning anyway. And then the Randall money. You know, it's just... You know, I've watched the Knicks for a long time. And there were many years, obviously, in the you know early stages of watching them where they were on the precipice of winning a championship but getting close. Year after year, they were in the playoffs. You know, last year was a tease at this point. But, I mean, are the Knicks better than, you know, five or six teams in the East right now? No, they're not. And are they going to be? Not as they're constructed right now. They need to do something. They need to make a move somewhere. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what they need to do, what they're going to do, but they need to do something with this roster. You know, quickly seems like he's going to be pretty good. I don't know how good, but he looks like he's going to be pretty good. Toppin's been giving him good minutes off the bench for the 15, 16, 17 minutes a night that he gets. He's putting up solid numbers in those minutes. He's making a difference out there on the floor. He looks a lot better than he did last year. But there's just something missing with this team. And whether that's a, and to me it's a talent issue because again, you see a guy like RJ Barrett, he goes out there, he puts up 21, 9 and 6 one night and then the next day he's throwing up 5 points, 3 rebounds and an assist and sitting on the bench at in in crunch time. This is not what a number 3 pick should be. No way, no no way, no how. He should not be this inconsistent. Now this is year three. He's got to get his act together and start playing more consistently for this team. But again, you know the problem is Randall wants the ball. Randall needs the ball. I get that because he's the number one dog. He makes the most money. But still, the team is missing something. And what that something is to me, as I said, is a difference maker. Is a difference maker guard, because it's a guards league now. And Randall has to be the number two guy on this team, really, for the Knicks to take the next step. But I just don't see it happening, really. Even if they got Damian Lillard as an example, which is a pipe dream. Even if they got him, are they going to win a championship? The way they are now? No. So they're going to have to figure something out with this team to get it to another level. And I right now, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. This team is a 500 team. You know, they predicted 40, 41 wins for the Knicks this year. And it looks like that's going to be about what they're going to be. Are they going to finish 8 to 10 games over 500? I don't think so. I predicted them about 45, 46 wins. That's looking like a stretch right now because the East is better this year than they were last year. Look at the step that Chicago's taken. You know, the Hawks are obviously playing better basketball than what they were at the beginning. The Heat, yeah, they lost Bam for a while. He's going to be out for a bit with thumb surgery. That's a big blow for them. But he will be back. And when he does come back, they're better than the Knicks. We know the Nets are better. We know Milwaukee's better. Philadelphia, yeah, they can't get out of their own way, but to me, if they're if they're fully healthy, they're better. 
and the Celtics have gotten their act together. And go look at the Hornets. The Hornets have been playing halfway decent too. So, and the Wizards. So that's like eight, nine teams right there before I even mention the Knicks. So they gotta, they gotta get, they gotta figure something out with this team. You know, I like Thibodeau as a coach. You know, sometimes it gets a little annoying with the rotations and this and that. But I, I you know, it's ugh, it drives me bananas. That game last night drove me bananas. The game on Tuesday drove me bananas. So I got to see something with this team. To get it on an upswing eventually, but I just don't see it happening right now. The way they the way they look, they just look like a team that's gonna hover around where they are now for the remainder of the season. Maybe get in the first round of the playoffs, but that's gonna be it. So we'll see what happens with the uh, with them. And uh, of course now. News about LeBron James. He's coming back tonight for the for the uh, Hollywood Fakers. Apparently had a false COVID test, false uh, a false positive, which of course he says was fishy and this and that. Yeah, like uh, I don't blame him for being upset, but he'll be back for the for the Fakers tonight against the uh, the Clippers. And hey, look, they're another team that. You know, you got Westbrook and obviously Davis and 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 him, but are they going to be better at the towards the end of the year than what they are now? Probably because they'll make a move or two for you know they'll get a a guy that gets cut by a bad team. They'll pick up somebody you know a shooter or whoever or a perimeter defender that they that they desperately need. So you know. Everybody's talking about the sky is falling with the Lakers. I mean, to me, that's a little bit far-fetched. I'd love to have the three stars in the team right now in the Knicks and see what happens and go to battle compared to what we have now here in New York. So, again, you know, the sky is not falling over there in L.A. At least not yet. I'm not about to sit there and say they're better than Golden State or, or Phoenix. But still, let's calm it down a little bit. It's 20, 25 games, whatever it may be. And obviously the Lakers have a long way to go to get to where they want to be. But I still think that give it time and let's see what happens before we start talking about that this is the end, you know, blah, 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 this and that. So I don't, I don't you know, let's calm it down for a little bit. Let's see if they get the cohesion. Let's see if they get the, you know, teamwork and this and that in play. They're going to do something. We know that as you get towards January or February. When they got to make a move to get somebody to improve their team. So, on to football. Well, hey, not a good week for me with my picks. I went four and six this week. So now my record drops even further down to the depths. And obviously two of those games, which were very surprising, were the Giants and the Jets. So my record right now is 38-43-2 through 12 weeks. Got to get it together. So, again, that Jet game, 
the other day against Houston. Now, I didn't see a second of the game, but you got to be happy, obviously, if you're a Jets fan, seeing Zach Wilson come back and play halfway decently to get them a victory in, in Houston. The Giants, on the other hand, hey, I picked Philly. I thought Philly would blow them out. The opposite occurred. The Giant defense played great. Jalen Hurts had a rough day for Philadelphia. But, you know, am I happy the Giants won? Well, yeah, sure. He beat a division rival. That's great. They're one game out of the playoffs, which that's a joke and a half. But, I, I again, you know, now there's talk, well, are the Giants going to give Daniel Jones that fifth-year option? I mean, to me, I would not. You know, I know people are like, well, it has, it's hard to do or hard to gauge because they haven't had a healthy team. They haven't had a healthy offensive line or, or an effective offensive line. But is he, and I know that the, the quarterbacks that are out there in the draft, there's nobody that really stands out per se. But still, you know, the news is obviously, can they get Russell Wilson? And to me, if you could get Russell Wilson, you go and do it. Whatever it costs. That's your that's your card back to respectability. And you know, people are like, well, 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 they still don't have an offensive line. Well, they're gonna have to address the offensive line. But Russell Wilson, you know, who's a veteran, and quite frankly, has been on teams where his own offensive line has not been good. I think you gotta do what you got to do to get him and tell Jones to take a hike because this offense has been putrid. Let's just just be real. They've been putrid. And that's, and that's as a whole between the quarterback, between the running backs, between the wide receivers, between the tight ends, between the offensive line, between the stupid coach. Now, it seems like Gettleman's gone after the year. Yeah, great, wonderful. Does that mean Joe Judge keeps his job? Well, that remains to be seen. I I personally think that at this point, you know, hey, if the GM wants to get rid of him, then so be it. I mean, we're not, we're, this isn't Bill Belichick we're getting rid of. This isn't, uh, you know, Bill Parcells we're getting rid of. I mean, he doesn't have a track record. If he had a track record, then fine. Yeah. What, his track record is because he was in New England? He was under Belichick. How many of Belichick's guys have been successful as a head coach? Patricia sucked in Detroit. Now, I know, it's a talent issue also. But still, bottom line is, you got to tell, you got to, if the Giants press the reset button and, and whatever... Replace everybody. I'm for it. Get the stench of this franchise for the last 10 years way on out of here. Ship it on one of those big supply ships somewhere else. Because I don't want... I'm, I'm tired of the losing. I'm tired of watching this team suck year after year. I want to see a winning team again. Like we did for a while. I don't want to see all this losing continue. So if you got to get rid of Jones, get rid of Jones. And bring in Russell Wilson if that's what it takes. you got the number 6 and number 7 pick right now in the draft next year. Let's hope Chicago keeps on losing. 
And we play Chicago before the year is over, too. So they better figure out a way, make sure those Bears have a top five pick. And then they got to make some moves. They got to, you know, think outside the box. Just think outside the box. And that outside the box type of thinking to me is Russell Wilson. So if you want to go get him, I'm fine with it. But to me, I don't want to keep Daniel Jones. And you bring in a new GM and he wants to get rid of Joe Judge, then so be it. That's fine. If you want to keep him around, that's fine too. You know, but if you if you keep Judge and you don't see him, you know, you don't see the team turning around with some more talent in the next year or two, then hey, he's got to go too. But if he goes now after the year, then so be it. Now the Cowgirls, who had a tough loss against Vegas last week on Thanksgiving, rebounded last night against the uh, the Saints, winning twenty-seven to seventeen. And <laughs> you know, I have to laugh. Teams are or people are talking about, oh, could the Cowboys even win the division and this and that? They got the most talent of any team in the NFC East. You know, they're talking about Washington might be able to beat out Dallas. That's not happening. I know, they got two games against Dallas coming up. But they're not winning the division. Dallas is winning this division. Dallas is the best quarterback in the division. They got probably the two best wide receivers in the division. In Cooper and Lamb. Look what Parsons has done. He's been basically pot gold for, for Dallas on the defensive side of things. He's been unbelievable, as has Diggs. So Dallas is the best team in the NFC East. I mean, let's, you know, I don't want to hear nonsense about that Washington might beat them out. That's not going to happen. Not happening. So whoever out there is talking about this, come on. Not going to happen. Dallas is going to win the East. Are they going to do something in the playoffs? Well, that remains to be seen. You know, Prescott has not looked great the last few weeks. I mean, is he still not 100% off his calf injury? Who knows? But I'm still I'm still supremely confident that Dallas is going to win the East. So I I have no concerns about that. Now, and as far as the AFC goes, well, again, if you look at Anybody in the AFC right now, I mean, look at the Patriots. I mean, can you believe that the Patriots are doing what they're doing right now with Mac Jones at quarterback and Belichick as the head coach? I mean, are you really surprised that they're back in and and prominent once again? And there's a big game Monday night between the Pats and the Bills. And a lot of eyes are going to be in that game. To see what happens in Orchard Park up in Buffalo. That's going to be one heck of a matchup. I don't know what way I'm going to go on that game as of yet. I will pick that game for Monday night as part of my lucky seven picks this coming week. But I don't know what direction I'm going to go yet. But that's going to be one heck of a game. And one heck of a challenge for both teams. Because we still don't necessarily know what... You know, the Patriots for real, okay, fine, they've been great the last six games, 
They've blown out teams. They've they got a cumulative point differential, about 150 points in the last six weeks. You know, but this is a big boy game. You know, and there have been a couple. I mean, the Pats could have beat Tampa. They could have beat Dallas. They didn't at home, but they could have. But this is now a December game where you put the chips to the middle of the table. And now you got to see what the Patriots are against Buffalo. And they're going to see Buffalo twice in the next few weeks. And that's going to determine who wins the East and maybe determine who wins, who gets the top one or two seed in the the AFC. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see. And Buffalo's been up and down, as we know. You know, they look like world, world beaters one week, and then the next week they go out there and, it's, and they struggle to do anything. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out on Monday night up in Orchard Park. I'm definitely looking forward to watching that game. But with that all said, Giants go to Miami this, this coming weekend to play the, uh, the Dolphins. It doesn't look like Jones is going to be playing the next week or two. Now he has a neck injury. And that's another thing that bothers me. Because Giant fans have zero appreciation for what they had in Eli Manning. Eli Manning went out there every single game. It didn't matter how many bruises he had on him. It didn't matter what the heck was wrong with him. He went that out there every single week and played. And that's the most underappreciated thing in football is to watch a guy go out there every single week and play because you know without a shadow of a doubt that players are banged up, they've got nicks, they've got injuries, they've got this, they've got that. And when you could see an NFL player go out there week in and week out and play, then kudos to, to him. You saw it with Brett Favre, you saw it with Eli Manning with the Giants. And that, to me, is the most the one thing, regardless of what he did in the Super Bowls, regardless of what he did in the playoff games, regardless of what he did in fourth quarters, leading the Giants to a number of comeback victories over the years. That's the type of thing that's most underappreciated for a guy like Eli Manning, is that he went out there every single week and played. Win or lose. So we had it good as Giant fans watching this guy go out there every time, every week and play. It didn't matter if the Giants won or lost, but he was out there. But if you look around the league, it's like this guy misses a game. This guy misses a game. Zach Wilson's out four weeks. You know, uh, Daniel Jones is a boo-boo on his neck. He's going to miss a week or two. Eli Manning never had anything like that. He missed one game because they benched him. That was it. And he was at the end of the line. So, again, that, to me, that's the most underappreciated... One of the most... Eli is one of the most underappreciated athletes in New York history. Just like Patrick Ewing. And Patrick Ewing, we know, went out there, banged up, game after game for the Knicks back in their heyday, when the NBA was a hell of a lot more physical than it is now. He went out there every single week and put it all out on the line. 
and he never got a chance. He never got a championship. You know, Eli has two of them, but Ewing never got one. And Nick fans don't realize how good they had it when he was around for the Knicks in the in the eighties and the nineties. You know, only when he retired and they gave him his banner night at the Garden did Nick fans, you know, show their love and appreciation. But when he was with the Knicks and he put on the uniform every every night, it was the same type of thing as with Eli, underappreciated. So to me, those are the two two guys that jump out at the top of the list of underappreciated athletes in New York. You know, Mattingly, you could say, is another one. I don't think they're quite at the level of those two. I think those two stand out. Probably probably as much as anybody. You know, I have to think about off the top of my head anybody else that comes to mind immediately. But I, I to me those are the two. Number one and number two right there, whichever order you want to put them. So well, in any case. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Facebook, on Spotify, Instagram, Google, the Mecca Sports Talk, and take a listen to the show. And I will be back on Sunday to give my my NFL picks for week number 13, if you could believe that already, week number 13. And we'll see what happens this weekend with the Giants, obviously as I mentioned before, the Pats and the Bills on Monday night, which will be a, a huge game with a lot of implications. And and let's see what happens uh, with week number 13 in the NFL. And we'll see what happens with the CBA. Again, I'm not confident you're going to see much of anything before February. But from the very beginning, if you're a Met fan, you have to be dancing in the street and ecstatic beyond belief for what your team did the other day, bringing in the big boy, Max Scherzer. Three is $130 million. No doubt about it whatsoever that this was an A++++ move, and that's it. And no criticism is really justified with the move of that stature that the Mets made earlier this week. So, love the Yankees and everything. But as an outsider looking in on this, kudos to them for what they did, the Mets. So I will talk to you on Sunday. Everybody stay safe. Everybody have a good day and a good weekend. And I will speak to you on Sunday.